Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? It's going well, and I hope you had a great 4th of July. I did. It was a very nice day. Very good. All the normal traditions, we got together with some friends, we caught up on things around the house, read the Declaration of Independence out loud, watched a Capitol 4th. It was a great day. It's it's like the perfect day for you. It really is. Yes, it really is. My 4th of July got started early. The U.S. men's national soccer team was playing here in Nashville on the 3rd. So Ethan and I were the only ones in town. Beth took the other kids out of town for a wedding, and Ethan and I were the only ones here. So we went to the game, and there was a 90-minute lightning delay. So the game that was supposed to start at 8.30 played like 15 minutes and then resumed at like 10, 15. So we didn't get home until around one o'clock from the game the night before July 4th. So we kind of like, we ushered in July the 4th early and then we slept in yesterday. It was, it was one of the laziest days we've had because of the long day the day before. But, uh, we, we grilled out. We had ribs and just kind of hung out with one another and had a good old kind of relaxing day with, you know, not a whole lot of kids around. It was it was quite different than normal around here. Well, that sounds like it was a really nice day. Holidays always come at just the right time. Yes, yes. And this was very relaxing, very good to have that. And it's kind of weird having that, that day in the middle of the week uh, because now it's kind of like, what day is it? Yeah, didn't I kept feeling like today was supposed to be Saturday. Yeah, so well, the I've, day, I felt we're, like we're, that for like two days now. Right. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday, and it just doesn't it it doesn't feel like Friday. It feels like it should be Saturday after yesterday. So yeah. or Sunday, I actually I guess so. So yeah, so it was a good week, and I hope everybody out there in the listening world had a great Fourth of July as well, and are, are ready for kind of the the last half of the summer. Summer's kind of halfway over now, Amy, which is crazy that it's already halfway over. But I know school starts in just a few weeks for you at the uh, seminary, and we're getting things fired up and ready with our kids here at the house. So it's hard to believe that summer is almost over. There's still some days left, and we are enjoying them, but fall semester is looming. Yes, it is, and it's looming also in Louisville, Kentucky, where the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degree programs by visiting sbts.edu. Amy, I know we talked about this a little bit online the other night, but they they have a new bookstore open at Southern Seminary. Yes. And Dr. Moeller said that your book was his favorite in the bookstore. No, he didn't. He did not he did. say that. He, he tweeted it out. We retweeted it. And he said, right. this is my favorite wall. And your book was on that wall. Therefore, your book is his favorite thing in the bookstore. I feel like I can't make that assumption. Um, I, I just, I'm not going to go where you're headed with that. But I do have to say. The logic may have a couple of holes in it. The, yeah, there was, it was exciting to see. First, I spotted Keith's book that he uh, did with Micah Freeze, Islam in North America. And then, um, so I was excited about that. And then I looked a few over and saw SBC FAQs. And I, I don't know, I guess because we had been at Southern, you know, as a big chunk of our adult life, there's something meaningful about seeing that. That was really cool to see that in the, the picture. Yes. Everybody can, uh, if you're up in Louisville, please be sure to swing by the Southern Seminary Bookstore and buy Amy's book or buy it anywhere else that books are sold. I'll, I'll just let that, I'm, I'll hey, leave that there. <laughs> I, I'm trying, I'm trying to market your book. You're, you're not going to get out there and market it. 
Yes, you're so much better at that. That at that, I just have to leave you to market it. I'm the worst. You B&H have principles. probably. Yeah, B and H probably. The marketing department thinks she is not good at this at all. But uh, I'll just let. I'll send everything to you. Some of us have more scruples than others, and that would be there. Neat. You go. Yeah. So I, I'm unashamed in my book promotion. I, just one more plug here. You mentioned Islam in North America. We just uploaded a bunch of the videos from that one day conference that Nam hosted to the Lifeway Insights app. So if people miss that, they can download the Lifeway Insights app on either iTunes or in your Google Play Store and watch the videos from that conference. So they're all there. Very cool. All right, well, let's jump into the news this week. Big news out of Texas. Mark Aderholt, the former IMB missionary and number two guy at the South Carolina Baptist Convention, has pled guilty in a sex assault case involving an incident when he was 25 and the victim was 16 uh, back about 20 years ago. This is a case we've been covering for quite some time since, I, I guess, maybe around this time last year was when it it really surfaced, although it was... Uh, it was about an incident from 1996. So the charge, the original charge was four counts of sexual assault of a child under 17. That's a second degree felony. Um, he pled guilty to assault causing bodily injury. So this would have been part of a, I guess, a plea bargaining, you know, effort. And I don't, I don't know how in district court in Texas, what all of the process for that is. But he began serving on Tuesday. He is in jail right now serving for 30 days and will have 24 months probation and uh, got a $4,000 fine. He confessed to the incident as a class A misdemeanor. I also understand that there was something called uh, the concept is deferred adjudication, which means that after his probation, the plea would be expunged by the state of Texas. And uh, so it would a- it would actually be off the system. So after that time, that won't actually show up on background checks, anything like that. So yes. So let's let's park right here for just a second, because yeah. that's a very important discussion that we've been having as part of the bigger sex abuse discussion in the Southern Baptist Convention. Everybody's talking about background checks. They're also talking about sex offenders on staff. Right. He's not he's not going to register. It won't show up on a background check. And right. A- after that time of, has passed. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of the problem. That, that's right. part of the issue that we're seeing. And that's how people are able to kind of slide through the, the gaps in the system, because it's it's not just Southern Baptist stuff. It's also the legal system. The legal system isn't really helping us on that that front sometimes. Right. And it, and it's anywhere. This is in our desire for many people to use background checks as they get staff or volunteers, things like that. When you have a situation like this, that's a real concern. One of the things that this whole case has really demonstrated to me, and I think we have to just let this settle. Now, what I'm about to say, Jonathan, I I don't have solutions for. I I think we all have to be sort of part of the, the process because this is tough. But the first thing comes in acknowledging um, how tough this is, but how important it is. This is a scenario in which now, while they pled down to a, a misdemeanor, he still has now pled guilty to assault, to this incident happening. You can go, you can read the victim impact statement. You can go back. There have been stories. We've covered this on the podcast before to understand exactly what's been reported that, that took place in this incident. But needless to say, major, major problems, major concerns. He was 25 years old, a youth pastor, a seminary student, and Anne Marie Miller was 16. 
So we just need to kind of understand yeah. all of that. This is someone who went on to not just kind of survive and, and be in our system, but to thrive, to do well in it. Even after it was reported 10 years ago or whenever it was. Right. And and one thing we know, and we know this from last year, there was an open letter that Marshall Blaylock and Gary Hollingsworth in South Carolina uh, did to South Carolina Baptists and a, and discussed that at least in, in that situation, and I, I think I remember it being reported in others, but I know it, it was in that situation, that when confronted about it, that he denied it. So you had a situation where someone went through our system and by denying the incident really made it, you know, and, and succeeded. That should concern us. That should concern us that there are people that will do that. Now, what is the solution to that? Jonathan, I can't sit here and, and have all of the ideas, but what I can say is we can see that our system is multi-layered and we all have to be committed to developing a culture of protection and keeping a culture of protection. And that's that begins at the local church. Yes, it, it does. And, and again, background checks are sufficient in some instances, not sufficient in others. References can be sufficient in some instances, not in others. But you still need to do the due diligence of all of that because just because one comes back clean doesn't mean Right. It, it, there's not something out there as, as we see in this case, which is, right. uh, you know, a bit of a head scratcher. So right. as, as publicized as it is, you know, a Google search obviously would, would ping some of this stuff. But if you're just doing background checks, nothing's going to pop after 24 months. But one of the things that I am seeing, and this is good, is I think we are beginning to have a realization that it, 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 it won't just take one thing or one group of people. It takes everyone and it takes multiple things. Um, the conversations that we are beginning to happen about how serious the ordination process should be, how seriously churches should take that. The credentials committee, certainly that has, was one part and it was one step in the process. The, uh, the conversation in Texas, the legislation that protected about protecting churches from, uh, lawsuits if they, tell another, you know, for when they tell another church why someone was terminated there, you know, there's been all this, you can't call and tell anyone why they left because they will sue you. Well, first of all, we need to be focused most on protecting anyway, but let's remove some of those barriers. So getting into that saying, we need to be honest with one another. We need to be, um, we need to give clear references. All of those, all of those aspects, it's going to take everyone and it's going to take multiple avenues to ask the question, uh, what in this case will do the most to protect others? Yes, absolutely, Amy. And we have several links in the show notes today uh, that go to different stories about this, as well as to Anne Marie Miller's victim impact statement that she made in court earlier this week and the open letter that you mentioned uh, during your discussion about this. But it is the first of the month, Amy, and you know what that means. CP. Yes, we are 2.8% over the projected budget for the year in cooperative program giving. That's a good thing. We had a strong June as well, a little bit over $15.75 million given through the cooperative program, bringing our annual total through three quarters of the year to $149,580,020.95, which is a little under $190,000 over 
what was received last year through nine months. So we got one more quarter to go, Amy. I've been looking at a little bit of the math and we usually get about 47 to $48 million in that last quarter of the budget year. So we should be around $197, $197.5 million for a cooperative program giving at the end of this budget year. That is a great thing. Uh, remember the budget this year is 194 million. So we should be just a few million dollars over budget at the end of the year, which is fantastic. Okay. Something I am still looking at is the designated funds. Those are down still. Uh, it's about $5.2 million below where we received okay. last year. So, uh, those are a little bit off right now, but we'll see how they come in. Uh, remember we had like two of the strongest years ever in designated receipts last year. That's Lottie and Annie. And uh, we had those last year, the largest Annie, second largest Lottie. So we'll see how those end up this year. They or they have a lot to live up to from last year. So we'll keep an eye on that for the next three months and see where we end the fiscal year. All right. Last Friday was a big day at Lifeway. Ben Mandrell was elected as Lifeway's 10th president. Yeah, I saw that was a unanimous election. So that must that was a big day. Yes, it was. It was a fun day. I was there. We had some pictures. We had a little bit of video that we shared from our account as well last week. So I went down for the day. It was a long day. I left my house a little before five, got home a little after 11. Fun day, long day, a lot of work, but a great day. And we are excited to have Ben Mandrell on board at Lifeway. Very cool. So is he, in, when, when will he actually be living in Nashville? Is he coming in the office some? I think in about two weeks, he'll actually be on the ground. They're Tidying okay. up everything in Colorado, selling the house, getting everything packed, getting everything moved to Nashville. I think they've already got a house here in the city, uh, just actually just a few minutes from my house uh, down here in Franklin. His kids will uh, be at kind of the same school district as mine. So uh, very cool. Neat. His, his oldest daughter is the same age as my oldest son. So they'll be, I think, in 10th grade together over at Ravenwood. Very cool. All right. So, uh, speaking of Nashville, Amy, some disturbing news. Had four churches burned, including two Southern Baptist congregations uh, broken into and burned last week here in Nashville. Oh my goodness. Okay, so first of all, I didn't even see this until just now. You sent the link and I didn't realize this. So Crevewood Baptist Church and Priest Lake Community Baptist Church were two of the fires that were set at four area churches. So um so the, these were two Southern Baptist churches. Crevewood Baptist Church is right behind uh my house there when I lived in in Nashville. Really? It was just okay. yeah, just right on the other side of our backyard. And a really nice church, good people. We visited there a, a few times. Looks like there were four arsons and burglaries all committed within an hour of each other at uh, kind of late at night. So really terrible story, it looks like. Yes, and all of them in that South Nashville, Antioch area. So uh, they, they've arrested the suspect, Alan Fox. He admitted to setting the fires and burglarizing the four churches. It caused minimum damage. That's the, that's the good thing. Right. But at the same time, I mean, there was no motive that was listed in the story, and he hasn't uh, given a motive. So... Uh, right. They don't know. But yeah. That's terrible. So he Boy. appeared earlier this week in court or was scheduled to appear earlier this week in the Metropolitan Nashville and Davidson County General Sessions Court. So uh, if anything else comes of this, we'll pass that on. So, yeah, it's kind of a disturbing local news story here. Yeah, most definitely. Some interesting news out of Arkansas, Amy. Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary and the Arkansas Baptist State Convention had partnered to establish a seminary inside the Varner-Varner Supermax unit outside of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. So we've seen prison ministry and seminary ministries in the prisons. You have that at Southeastern. We've seen New Orleans. We've seen 
Southwestern. They do that Mid-America. They're not officially an SBC seminary, but is a friendly and cooperating seminary with the SBC. There's a letter that's been sent from the Wisconsin-based Freedom From Religion Foundation asking the Arkansas Direction of Corrections to suspend the partnership with them over what they say is unconstitutional programs for uh, prisons, which is a bit odd because it's been done all over the place and a lot of states, not just Arkansas. And this is also the same group that's been fighting the housing exemption uh, for ministers. So right. kind of, you kind of see where, um, where their interests are. And right. so, yeah, so we'll, we'll link to the story here. There's not a lot of detail in here about the actual uh, reasoning. It's just the same reasoning that they always give that it's, they say that right. it's illegal for correctional institutions to condition any benefit to inmates on their attendance at religious programs. We've seen this program yeah. at elsewhere. I, I don't understand what right. the, well, uh, the issue I, here. I think it's right. And I think it's important to remember that, uh, first of all, when those programs are, are run, they do not discriminate on the basis like any inmate can apply and it is an optional program. Um, for them. But, you know, this is not that this hasn't made it into the courts at this stage. It's just sort of an initial um, push by this group. So we certainly will uh, will follow this and see where it goes at this stage. They're just beginning to raise what they see as a red flag. But uh, very interesting. Yeah. Like you said, we'll keep an eye on this because a lot of our seminaries, like we mentioned, do this. So it, it could right. be it could be uh, an issue down the road for others in the SPC. Finally, Amy, some sad news. Norman Geisler, founder of Southern Evangelical Seminary, and I think that's where he's kind of been the last few years and been working on that. And he passed away this past week at age 86. Yeah, so very well known in the world of apologetics. Had a had a tremendous impact on many people who are in the Southern Baptist world and in the evangelical world. So I saw a lot of, of tributes, but we have the Baptist press obituary linked in the show notes, uh, just shares, uh, shares a lot of the contributions that he has made through the years, but I saw a number of people commenting on this. Yes. He's, he's written or edited 127 books in his ministry. My goodness. So Amy, only 126 to go for you. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate you <laughs> noticing that. Yeah. Hey, I've got yeah. 127 to go. So, I mean, you're, you've got me beat right now. There you go. See, I didn't so. even say that. I could have come back and said that, but I didn't. You, sh- you should have. So. so, All right. Well, that's going to do it for the news this week and bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. This week, we're going to go to 1953, which is when all the talk was about a new member of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. Billy Graham walked the aisle during the service, shook hands with W.A. Criswell, and formally placed his membership letter. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say he like rededicated his life or something. No. I've been a lot more dramatic. Joined the church. He joined, joined church. First Baptist Dallas. Yes. So that was the top story in 1953. Did he live in Dallas at that time? No. He lived in Montreat, but in Montreat, there was no Baptist church there. So he said he passed through Dallas frequently, and he had been conducting an outdoor evangelistic crusade in Dallas for the last month, and he wanted to make First Baptist his home church. So uh, very interesting. I had heard that he had been a member at First Baptist yeah. Dallas for a time, and then eventually was a member at First Baptist Spartanburg. 
Yes. In, uh, Don in Wilson, South Carolina. pastor there. Right, mm-hmm. Don Wilson. But I had known he had been a member of First Baptist Dallas, but didn't really know the whole story. But he joined it. I like, I like this part of the story though. Didn't realize. I mean, he actually walked down the aisle, shook hands with Dr. Criswell. It said that they were overcome by emotion. It was several minutes before Dr. Criswell could get his composure. They were crying. Uh, so it must have been a, you know, a real moment there. That was the top story in Baptist Press, so they were all talking about it in 1953, this week in SBC history. Huh. Well, that, that's fascinating. I, I guess we don't want to have a discussion about resident membership and all that right now. Uh, that is not the purpose of this podcast okay. or this section of the podcast. Just check so it. That's I'm another not, podcast somewhere. Somebody is, else can deal that, with that. Yeah, that that's not... That's not the conversation here. The conversation is just that it happened this week. Okay. All right. So we just report the very, news. That's right. So very Maybe. clear. But it, I mean, it's, it's kind of a big deal then. So. Well, yeah, it is. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. That'll bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? My resource this week is Advocates, the new book by Dahati Lewis, who is uh, the vice president of NAM's SEND Network. And it's the narrow path to racial reconciliation. So, uh, Dahati's a Southeastern graduate and very, uh, we're always excited about the work that he is doing. But I was excited to get this book a few weeks ago and looking forward to reading it. Very cool. My resource of the week this week is going to be the new podcast I just kind of started this week with Elizabeth Heinemann and Chris Martin called Social Cues. Chris has been wanting to start this podcast for a while. And he finally talked Elizabeth and I into it. So we joined him for the first episode of the Social Cues podcast. It just debuted today. So it's it's brand new online, probably not in iTunes yet. We'll put a link to where you can listen to it at Podbean because I think we're using that right now just to kind of get it off the ground. So it'll be in iTunes and everything later on once we get those links established. But uh, yeah, new podcast. The format of the podcast is we basically just cover three articles a week. We have an opening question, closing uh, recommendation. It's it's a very short and simple podcast. This week we talked about leaving the LDS church and how the internet and social media are helping that. We talked about uh, suicide and mental health and how it social media relates to that, as well as the royal family and some of the social media Instagram wars that they're having. So it, it was a fascinating, fascinating thing. And you could probably figure out which one of those each of us picked by knowing us. I know you know all three of right. us. Right. So right. you could probably figure out which of us picked each article that we yes, discussed. Yes, I'm quite certain. Yes. Yeah. So shocking to those listening at home, I was not the one that picked the royal family. Oh, I, I, I'm, and Chris wasn't either. No, it wasn't. So, so right. Um, but right. that's why you bring time, different per, you bring different people, different perspectives and personalities. But it was a fascinating discussion. A fascinating yes. discussion. So I highly well, good. recommend I'm looking it. Social Cues podcast. It'll be up uh, today and can check it out uh, in other podcast apps later on, but uh, the link for this week's episode is in the show notes. Very cool. All right, so that's going to do it for us this week on the podcast. Hope you're having a great summer. Got about half of it left. And uh, so, you know, soak up that pool time while you can before the winter gets here. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>